My name is Rick Martinez. I am one of the elders here at Capital City Church. It's a blessing to bring the Word of God to you today. And I want to just send greetings out to our Capital City family and our friends around this city and around this state, around this nation, and even possibly in other nations who may be watching or will watch this. Uh, as you shelter from the storm that uh, sweeps across the globe right now, and I know that some of you are probably sheltering from numerous storms. Uh, some good friends of ours in Jonesboro, Arkansas, had a tornado sweep through their city yesterday, and we're grateful that they and their church are safe. <clears throat> but we just want to uh, tell you how blessed we are to be able to be with you, how blessed I am to be able to bring the Word of God and to teach this morning. Uh, let me pray as I begin. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of teaching the word of God and speaking to your people today. And I pray that you would use my words to encourage and strengthen all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Initially, I was going to actually entitle this teaching, Christ Our Certainty in the Midst of Uncertainty. Uh, but I decided that that wasn't true, it was not a true statement, because Christ is our certainty in the midst of everything and anything, not just times of uncertainty. And uh, so we've just, I've simply entitled it, Christ, Our Certainty. Last Sunday, Matt uh, did an excellent job of, of focusing us initially in this season that we're in um, this kind of strange season that none of us have ever gone through, and bringing our attention to what is true and what's important in terms of God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty over all of this. And I just want to continue today and strengthen you and, and give you uh, encouragement today to continue. And my hope today is, is not just that you would be strengthened for today, but I really believe that what God wants is to Strengthen us for the long haul, regardless. Regardless of how long this may take, regardless of how long we may be going through this, that what God wants to do is put in our hearts truth today that will keep us indefinitely into the future. And I want to begin by just reminding us a very simple truth, but is a key truth, is that the battle is always for our minds as believers that's where our, our battle, our main battle takes place. And it's amazing how I become, just even in my own life, I'm a pretty stable person day in and day out, but I become aware through this last couple of weeks how my moods can fluctuate and change so easily from day to day, depending on what I've been listening to, what I've been watching, what I've been reading, kind of what I'm thinking, even as I go to sleep, how I feel when I wake up in the morning, um, what the weather might be like that day. It affects my emotions and my moods. And the range has been between uneasy, sometimes even a little bit nervous maybe, or anxious, although not a lot of that, but I feel that at times, to sometimes even encouraged and hopeful, depending on what I've been thinking about and what I've been listening to and who I've been listening to. And that, that is part of being a human being. We are vulnerable, all of us, to these moods and these emotions, and they're God-given. They're not bad. But we know that they can 
sometimes dictate to us too much. And they should not, and they cannot. Paul understood this, the Apostle Paul. And from a jail cell in a home, from an imprisonment in a home in Rome, he wrote these words to the Philippian church. He said this, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full in full accord and of one mind. Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, his statement is almost in the form of a question, but it's rhetorical, obviously rhetorical. Of course there is encouragement in Christ. Yes, there is comfort in love. And our fellowship and participation in the life of God's Spirit does strengthen us. And our affection and our sympathy for one another is a comfort to us. But above all, Paul says in this statement, he says, be of one mind. Be of the same mind. Now, the Greek phrase for be of the same mind means to exercise the mind, to have a sentiment or an opinion, or by implication, to be mentally disposed in a certain direction. Paul is encouraging the Philippians to be mentally disposed in the same direction. To be mentally disposed in the same direction. To be like-minded regarding life and what is most important in this life. Powerful statement. Powerful statement being written by a man who himself was imprisoned. And the whole epistle, the whole letter to the Philippians was filled with the word joy, as we know, again and again and again. Because Paul had learned this truth, that what he thought on How he thought about what was true, what he knew to be true, and what he believed was the key to how how he would live his life. And we know that as Christians, this battle always begins in our minds. It's what we think on and how we think about things that determines the kinds of lives that we will live. So if we're always being led by our emotions and being blown around like a rudderless sailboat through life because of circumstances, we are never going to be able to encourage other people. And probably more importantly, and I was thinking about this this week, of all people on the earth, I truly believe that we as believers, we as Christ followers, should be leaders through times like this. We should be giving leadership to not only our homes, obviously, and our families, but our, our, our sphere of friendships to others, however means we, whatever means we can, through social media, through communications, whatever we might, we might have, we, of all people, we understand what is going on. Maybe not details, maybe not the science, science of all of it, but we understand the larger picture of what, in fact, is happening and, and how to see this through the lenses of biblical truth. We are to lead through it. And Paul is teaching us and saying to us that if, if our minds are not set in the right direction, we will not be able to lead through this. He also said to, in, in another letter to the Ephesian church that we are to be rooted and grounded in love, in the love of Christ. 
And we know that this is only possible to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ because we know that he, the Lord Jesus, is unchanging. He is constant and he is always faithful. So in other words, and this is, this is my intro to three points I'm going to make. In other words, a Christian has come to understand that Christ is our certainty in this life. And this is the fruit of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing this certainty of Jesus Christ is the fruit of understanding the gospel. Now, I'm going to be referring to the gospel throughout this teaching, and I'm going to just say to you very quickly what I mean by that word gospel. Is it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Yes, but no. They record the gospel, but it is much more than simply stating those four authors in their books. The gospel of Jesus Christ was the, the sinless life that Jesus lived, the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, the sacrificial death that he died, the tomb, which is very important biblically, theologically, the tomb that he was buried in, and the resurrection from that tomb gloriously on the third day, and then the incredible, miraculous, mysterious ascension where Jesus entered heaven and took his rightful place, ruling and reigning as Lord of all creation. The gospel consists of those truths. Now, it is the calling of any pastor or any leader or any teacher in the church to spend their whole life unpacking those beautiful truths. And I'm not going to do that today, but I want to explain to you what I mean when I use that word gospel. It is that, that full, true, all the truths that come from those facts of what Jesus Christ has done and not only what he has done, but who he is right now. So I want to give us three ways today that I believe teach us that Christ is our certainty and, and fa the fact that the gospel will establish us. The gospel of Christ will, in fact, establish us, first of all. That is the first truth. How does the gospel reveal the Lord Jesus as our certainty? Three things. First, the gospel will establish us. Now, there are about ten different Greek words that can be translated established in English because there are so many facets to the reality, to the truth of what it means to be established. It implies a certain firmness, a, a permanence, the unchanging nature to our faith, something that will endure and last because it's built upon a sure, stable foundation. It is a word that speaks of a, a great uh, established tree. We lived next door for a number of years in our previous home to a giant oak tree that was over a hundred years old. Huge, huge tree. Massive. And that tree had been there for, as I said, hundreds of years probably, over a hundred years. And it had withstood storms and seasonal changes and probably a couple of earthquakes and whatever else had taken place in its lifetime. But it stood because its roots had gone in so deeply to the ground. It was so stable in its strength and in its sustenance. It's also a word that speaks of the foundation of a great high-rise building. 
that goes as deeply into the ground as it does high above, that brings uh, a strength to a, a building. It's, it's this sense of being established. The gospel of Christ brings that kind of stability to our lives. And this establishing begins, first of all, with the truth of regeneration. A big word, regeneration, what does it mean? It's the word that Jesus uses in John 3, 3, when he says a man must be born again to see the kingdom. And we know that this power of of regeneration that the New Testament teaches us is is a power that is not simply a, a, a fresh start, but it literally means a new beginning. It means to be born of God. And John uses that word born of God, that term born of God, six times in his epistle, six different times. Because John knew the absolute importance and significance of of regeneration. It is not a fresh start. It is a new beginning. It is a new nature. It's not not simply changing. It's being given a new nature by the life of God, by being born of the life of God. It's having been given a new future. It has new capacities. This This new creation, this new life has new capacities. And it has a new understanding of life of what life is itself. And so this gospel establishes us, first of all, through the act of regeneration, when a man or a woman or a young boy or a young girl put their faith in Christ and they are born again by the Spirit of God, the regeneration takes place and the establishing that is necessary to live a life of stability and sureness and certainty begins. But not only does the gospel result in regeneration for all who believe initially, but it is ongoing through the work of grace. There is a continuing work of establishing through grace. So this establishing work of the gospel is something that happens once, and then it happens again and again and again. I'd like for you to read with me, and if you have your Bibles open there, Romans 16, chapter 16, I want to read verses 25. Through 27. I would have to say that I think this is probably one of the most, I would say to me it is, the most beautiful doxology in the New Testament. And there are a number of them. This doxology is amazing because it's, it's written at the end of a letter that is probably Paul's apex of all of his writings where he lays out in, in, the, in the, the, Roman, the Roman letter, the epistle to the Romans, the truth of justification by faith, the fact that we are dead and free then from the power of the law, that we live now under grace alone. He speaks of the new life again and again in, in, the, in the epistle to the Romans. He, he speaks of, uh, of, of this being victorious in Christ. And now at the very end of this letter, He says this, now let's listen to this, it's amazing. He says, and now to him who is able to strengthen you, underline the word strengthen, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, there it is, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And according to the revelation of the mystery, I'm going to talk to you in a moment about this mystery. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith 
To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. What an amazing, beautiful, powerful statement of worship and of praise. I told you and asked you to underline the word strengthen because it's the key word in my mind to that text. And the Greek there means simply to make stable. Again, there it is. To set fast. To make firm. To render constant. To confirm in one's mind. So again, we have this sense of the importance of the mind. And even in this doxology, the thought of strengthening in some sense has to do with the mind being set, being fixed how we think, what we think about, what we know to be true. So the constant turmoil and the uncertainty, now listen to me, please, hear my heart in this. The constant turmoil, the uncertainty, and the instability in so many believers of Jesus' minds is due, I believe, in part, probably great part, to a lack of being established in the gospel. People who are tossed back and forth continually by how they feel, what they see, what they're hearing, what they're reading, by the reports they're hearing on the news, by whatever it is that they're 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 sensing as they in the moods and emotions, and then being moved and being tossed back and forth all of the time and repeatedly and never being able to find peace. I think the the lack of, of being established in the gospel is probably one of the main reasons why men and women live like that. The truth that is in Christ, I in him and he in me, is what establishes and sets a Christian's life on its course. The truth of the gospel is what establishes and sets a man's life on its course. And Paul says that this is according to what he is heralding about Jesus Christ. And so there again, he refers back to the gospel. And so what I'm saying today, obviously, is very simply this, is that the key to living with certainty is to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only will the gospel establish us secondly, The gospel reveals the Lord Jesus as our certainty because it is a revelation of the mystery of Christ. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement. It's a revelation of the mystery of Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, now verses 8 through 10. And let's read that together. And I'm reading out of the NIV translation for you in case you're wondering. Again, an incredibly powerful statement. Paul says in Ephesians 3.8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, listen, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Something that was hidden, 
but has now been revealed is the biblical meaning of the word mystery. It is not the same as a mystery novel where we're trying to figure it out and it's hard to understand. That's not what the word mystery means biblically. What it simply means is that something was hidden and it has now been revealed. Something that could not be known has now been made known. And Peter actually tells us regarding this gospel that when the prophets of old spoke of it in the Old Testament, angels longed to understand it but could not because it had not yet been fully revealed and it would not be fully revealed until Christ would come. And it has now been revealed in this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you might think, what does this have to do with living with certainty right now? Were you thinking that, Seth? You probably were wondering, what does that have to do with living with certainty? Well, I'm going to tell you. And this is what it has to do with living with certainty. This is, this is to me, this is kind of where, how I'm wired. This is kind of where my mind lives. Is this truth that the gospel is eternal and its purposes are eternal. Revelation 13.8 says that this lamb was slain, the lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4, Paul says that God chose us in Christ before, again, the foundation of the world. Eternal realities. Now, when I hear those things, my mind goes tilt because I live in space and time, as we all do, obviously. But the God that we know, the God that we worship, the God that we believe in, the God in whom we put our faith is an eternal God. He is not limited by space and time. Much of what we know now to be true, in fact, we know all of it is, has, was always in his heart. These truths were always in the heart of God from all eternity. Now, I can't explain all of that to you in any way, intellectually, but I know in my heart that it's true because God is eternal. And therefore, this gospel is an eternal gospel. And it was a mystery that God had hidden, but has now made known in Christ and what that means to me is that my life is part of an eternal plan. So there are no coincidences. There are, there are no experiences that are disassociated from who I am in Christ. There are no experiences that are without purpose in God. Everything that I'm going through, everything that I'm experiencing, everything that's happening in the world, Paul says to us in Romans 8 again, he says, all, the things are, all these things are working together for my good, for those of us who are called, who love God and are called according to his eternal purposes. All these things are working together for good. Can I say that again? All these things. And you might think, well, how can something that is as horrible as a pandemic that's taking lives and crushing families economically be good? Well, obviously, it's evil in its fruit. But the truth of the gospel is as powerful as that God even uses evil for good. God even uses that which we would say is harmful for our good, ultimately, somehow. And I may not see it right now, and I may not understand it right now, but I tell you that I know that it's true, and I do believe it. And in this time, we are being conformed through these pressures, through these challenges, through these difficulties, through the stretching, through the uncertainties, through the unknowns, we are being conformed into the very image of Jesus Christ in this lifetime. 
because this is an eternal gospel that has an eternal purpose that is at work in my life. And I would say to you that I truly believe that coming to this awareness, what I'm speaking to you right now as believers, coming to the awareness that as Christians, what we believe and that what is now being revealed to our lives gives purpose to life. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, how do I find the meaning of my life? How do I find purpose in life? And it sounds trite and it can sound religious to say the truth to finding purpose in life is to understand the truth of who God is and what God is doing. Losing my life in the smaller arenas of life, I lose purpose. Finding my life in the greater purposes of God, I gain purpose. Psalm 138.8, I'll read it to you. It says this, The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. So the certainty, the certainty of our lives, the gospel reveals this certainty through the fact that the gospel establishes us through the fact of the truth that this, this gospel reveals this mystery that is found only in Christ. And then thirdly and lastly, the gospel establishes us and brings us to certainty through revealing the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel brings certainty to our hearts through revealing the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just listen to these truths very basic gospel truths as I read them to you. First, Jesus came to reveal the nature and the heart of the Father to us, and he did it perfectly. If you want to know what God's like, if you want to know what God thinks, what God feels, what God values, look at Jesus Christ. Read the stories of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, and you'll find out of what God is like perfectly. Second truth, simple truth, powerful truth. Through faith in Christ, I am now a son of God. That's my identity. I've said this many times in many different contexts to many different people as I've taught during the years of ministry, is that when I've gone through the hardest times in my life, when I've come to God, and I can think of many times on my knees, on my face before the Lord, crying out to God, Asking God for help, asking God maybe for forgiveness, asking him for clarity. When I've come to him, every single time I've come to him, he doesn't speak to me as a pastor. He doesn't speak to me as a leader. He always speaks to me in my heart as his son. That's what gives me my identity. I am a son. I've been adopted into the family of God through faith in Christ. A third very simple truth. These are revealed truths in the gospel that bring certainty to my life. The third, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm not dealing with shame. I'm not dealing with condemnation. I'm not dealing any longer with, with the fear of how God views me because of my past, because of what I've done 25 years ago or what I did yesterday. I'm forgiven. And amazingly, I'm forgiven of what I may do in the future, even though I pray that I will not do grievous things. 
to sin against God. But even should I stumble, I'm forgiven. Through faith in Christ, that would be true for you as well. Very basically, I'm loved. I'm loved by God. His affection is upon me. His favor is upon me. His hand is upon my life. His grace is upon my life. I'm secure in this because Jesus lives and reigns above all. I, I, I know that these things are true because Jesus Christ is alive, as Kev said as we took communion today. Because Jesus is living and because he's ruling and reigning in heaven as Lord of all right now, it brings security to my life because I know that he is in control, that man is not in control, that what is happening on the earth, it's, as Matt said last week, it's not spinning out of control to an, a, an untimely end, but that everything that's happening right now on the earth is under the sovereignty sovereign control of God. And that brings tremendous security. I would have to say to you that, that that has changed my life. In the last number of years as I've grown to understand that God is in control of these things that take place on the earth. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. As I said, I'm no longer dealing with shame and condemnation and fear. And powerfully and importantly and amazingly, I've passed from death to life already. So there's no fear of death. Of course, the unknown is always a little nerve-wracking. But for a Christian, there's no fear of death. And the truth is, the reason is, is because we've already passed through death through faith in Christ. Amazing. 1 Corinthians 15. Open your Bibles and read it, or I'll put it up on the, on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 through 58. It says this. This is the Easter, an Easter text. The sting of death is sin. In other words, when there's sin... The result is death. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, listen, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. My beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Be steadfast in this season so that you can lead, so that you can give encouragement, so that you're a, a herald of hope, so that you are someone who has joy when no one else may have joy, so that you have answers when there are questions in people's hearts and people's minds. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Be immovable in your moods, in your emotions. And don't be rudderless and abound in the work of the Lord in whatever way God allows us in this season and obviously past this season, abounding in the work of God, knowing that our labor is not in vain. And I want to encourage you with these words today just to, in my heart, prayerfully, I'm asking that God would strengthen this local church, Capital City Church, and any other church that is represented by you who might be watching today. 
that you would be strengthened in this season. Whether it lasts another week, two weeks, God forbid, two months. And all, what, all that might take place through it continuing, should it, only God knows. But that we would stay immovable and steadfast. So that we're, listen, so that we're not preaching these sermons over and over again. So that we might move on to something completely different in the weeks to come, even though we're still meeting the way we are in this way virtually. Because these things will be true regardless of what happens. And I want to read this prayer as I close this morning. And it's a prayer from the Puritan prayer book that I have. And so that's why you're going to hear the these and the thous and the yees. But let me read it. O thou most high, creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation, how important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in thou, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, and confidence. We depend upon his death. We rest in his righteousness, and we desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life and escape the snares to which they expose us and discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages and improve with diligence their usefulness and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. In Jesus' name, the church says, Amen. God bless you.